Congress will return December 21st, 2020. That's about eight years from now. For you who are still relatively young and healthy, you probably expect to be around at that time, eight years from now. What would most people do if you said, I've got eight more years? A lot of people would say, well, I've got seven years to do whatever I want. I have these buckets of bricks. I want to live life to the fullest. I want to do all the naughty things that I never could do before. You know, I'm going to get to this naughty stuff, but year number eight, then I'll knuckle down. I'll be at church twice every Sunday. I will read the Bible and go to Bible study and give all kinds of money to church and school and be ready before Jesus returns. You see, if you can pinpoint when Jesus returns, then you can take the attitude, I can do now what I want, because I'll be great now, just when crunch time actually comes. Now, that sounds quite negative, that we have to be good uh, because we never know when Jesus is returning. But before this sermon is out, brothers and sisters, tonight, I hope that we would look at it in a very positive way. Because we don't know when Jesus is returning. Every new day you get, every hour that you have, is something to seize, embrace, and use for the glory of our God. Every opportunity is a moment to praise our God. And that that ultimately is the point of the sermon. To summarize our text in this way, look forward to the day of God and see it coming. We can say two things. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. It's immediately clear from reading 2 Peter 3 and specifically our text that Peter is dealing with some false teachers and theologians within the church that he is writing to. If you already sense it in 1 Peter, in 2 Peter you know he's dealing with heretics. But now it's in chapter 3, and he identifies the exact nature of their teaching. We read in verses 3 to 4, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He's promising. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So that can mean false teachers are teaching two things. First of all, they say, Jesus said he is coming and he will judge the world. It's been about 40 years since he said that and he has not come. He's not going to come again. It's a lie. Jesus Christ is not going to return on the clouds of heaven. You can forget all about that. And that leads to their second point. If Jesus is not coming and there's no judgment, then you can live life however you want. There's no accountability. You'll not be judged for the way that you live your life. In our introduction, we said, if you can pinpoint the return of Jesus, then you don't have to get ready until the day gets near. But this is even worse. Jesus is never coming. There'll never be a better world. There'll never be a worse world. It's just going to go on as it is. So you do what you want. You know, if you think about it, coming to Canada, you recognize that our, our culture, our society, does not believe that there is a 
day of reckoning, a day of judgment. And this is why people have no problem giving their lives to the pursuit of materialism, of individualism, of sexual immorality. Who's going to hold you accountable? Live life however you want. Now, it's, it's with that false teaching in mind that says Jesus is not coming, there's no day of judgment, that Peter writes in the opening of our text, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You know where that comes from, saying it together in Psalm 90. Now, when Peter quotes this or refers to this, it's not a big theological item that you have to examine all kinds of ways to try to figure out what Peter is saying. It's simple. He says, you know, God created time for you, human beings. He himself is the problem. As a human being, time is linear. It just continues in a straight line. You understand that very well. If someone says, you're going to go without food or drink for 24 hours, you're out of luck. If they say, you're going to go without for a week, that's awful. You can hardly stand it. You know, more time changes the picture. You think of our children and our, our young people who just had their Christmas holidays. They had two weeks off from school. Sounds like a lot. Well, at the end of the first week, they're going, man, a whole week is gone. We've only got a week left. But imagine that on the Sunday night, at the end of two weeks, the principal would send out an email and say, we like you so much, you get another week. We all understand that. Another week of holidays, when you're 14 years old, you can understand infinite in time and in space. We might think when we say to God, the past is the past. We can't go back there. We can't go back to paradise. He thinks. For God, yesterday, today, and tomorrow are the same. One day, a thousand years, a thousand weeks, and one day. We can't pin God or define God in time. So the, the whole idea for people to say, God, it's been 40 years since Jesus ascended into heaven, well, what's happening? God says, what are you talking about? I got a plan for you. It's irrelevant. Forty years, one day, a million years, I'll do what I have to do. Don't hold me to time. Time is your thing. It's not mine. Now, this is not to say that, that God is not doing anything or sitting on his hands, let's say, because Peter writes in verse 9 and continues, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God has his reasons for not sending Jesus Christ back to Christmas. And it's a matter of patience. He wants opportunities for the gospel to spread, go out into the world, that more people may come to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason is because the Lord is patient. The fact that Christ hasn't returned yet, brothers and sisters, for 2,000 years, from our point of view, wonderful. Great opportunity for evangelization and, and, and mission work. You think of Jonah. Remember Jonah? He went to Nineveh and he announced in three days, God is going to destroy you. But Nineveh repented. God did not destroy. And, and, then, and then Jonah is out and sounds off in that report saying to God, you are a 
most people think that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to burn up the whole earth. Poof! It will be, it'll disappear. And it will be replaced with a new earth, something completely radically different. Where do the scriptures teach you that? You can even argue, why should this earth be destroyed or annihilated? What did it ever do to deserve that? It's God's beautiful creation, polluted by man. And it's not the earth's fault. The earth groans because of what man has done. And earlier in this passage, Peter has been talking about the flood. And you know, the flood was a worldwide massive judgment that covered the earth and, and cleaned up all the impurities but left the earth as it was, totally pure. And that's what Peter's talking about in our text as well. He's not saying the earth is going to disappear. It's going to be cleaned up. The word that's used in the Greek is a word that's used in uh, metallurgy. And Peter likes that. Uh, uh, in, he uses it in 1 Peter 1. It talks about gold being refined by fire. So there will be fireworks. And the fire will envelop the entire earth, covering all of it. It will purify it. And it will leave the earth in its original beautiful form. This purifying fire has several levels to it. It will remove all traces of sin and evil and death. It will burn up things that cause all graveyards, hospitals, cancer wards to disappear. Prisons will vanish. Armies will be no more. The pollution, this massive of plastic floating in the ocean, it will all be purified and disappear. The earth will be made clean as it was in God's first creation. Then the purifying will continue. Man will be purified. Now, uh, Peter writes about that elsewhere. We read about it in Revelation 20. But in Matthew 25, Jesus Christ says, in the same same chapter where they're talking about the parable of the ten virgins, very significant in that one. There he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left also a lot like the parable of the weeds in, in Matthew 13. So what the Lord Jesus Christ will do when he returns on the, the clouds of heaven, he will judge the world. And all those who did not believe in him, who pursued instead their, their own desires, whether that is the love of money, the love of self, of, of, of sports entertainment, of, of immorality, all those, Jesus will take go elsewhere to a place called hell. The earth will be purified with the removal of all uncleanness. Believers will be left, and they too will be purified. And here we think of one person specifically. They will be purified by the Holy Spirit so that they are like Adam and Eve when they were first created. Perfect in the image of God, righteousness and holiness, able to live with God and give praise and glory forever. This purifying fire that, that Peter speaks about will cleanse the earth, remove the unbelievers, 
what we may possibly gain to be able to live with God forever. That brings us to our, our second and our final point. I think you'll agree. Peter really made clear the doctrine of the last things of this world when he put those false truths in their place. And he warned them. And he warned anyone who might have followed them. But there's still a danger. The danger is this, that, that the people that Peter's writing to, and you may be here today, so you say, Right. 
was an elementary school way down in Connecticut. After that, I know, not that I have to talk Facebook and Twitter, but I hear about it from a variety of kids that I talk Facebook on Twitter. There were a lot of Christians saying, this is terrible, it is terrible. We wish Jesus Christ would return now because we can't put up with this kind of suffering anymore. It's got to end. The world has got to end. And, and we understand, of course, that we have that sense of Maranatha come quickly, Lord Jesus. We, we long for you and to go into a new heaven, a new earth. But what happened instead is, whew, just not be comfortable. Uh, I, I think we lean to the idea this world has got to end. But no, there's a new north that is opening for us. And I think of many years back when I had a friend who was a colleague, a minister. His brother was a police officer who was killed in the line of duty. And he did his own running as a hero. And of course, there were lots of police officers there. They stand together. They come out for one another. And my friend said after the end, we had these police officers in worship services just for a long, long time. Horrible thing to do because it had opened the door to get all these men and women who otherwise would not be able to worship there to hear the word of God. Sandy Hook Elementary School is an awful idea. Our first response should not be, the world's got to end, God. But that we say, how is this possible? To stand in the midst of a, a dark and broken world and say the only peace that we can ever find is in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is not simply to get rid of guns. It's not simply to be told we've got to get along with one another. No, we have to endure as our Lord Jesus Christ has to live in this place, in this way, and in that way, learn to live in peace and harmony with one another. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time that we have no idea how long it will last. 2,000 years until Jesus Christ ascends into heaven and we can return at any time. Maybe today, maybe another 50 years, who knows. Peter says in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. He even says, as you look forward to the day of God and to see its coming. How can we see the coming of the day of the Lord when we just said we don't even know when it will be? Today, tomorrow, a thousand years? Peter has said this before. In Acts 3, verses 19 and 20, we say right after Pentecost, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Peter makes clear in the repentance and living life to the praise and glory of God, Jesus is coming, and he's coming quickly. Now, this is not so much a, a, a time thing as it is a, a matter of tone. Our Lord Jesus Christ made very clear in Matthew 24 that between his first coming and his second coming, a lot of things are happening. And among that is the spreading of the gospel. As the gospel is being spread, the day of the Lord comes nearer. We can be involved in this, brothers and sisters. I mean, we go to China. We send a missionary to Brazil. There's, of course, missionaries in Brazil today. You also have an opportunity in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood to evangelize the people in that 
more people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They repent and give their lives to God on the day of the Lord's coming. They are changed. Evil is being crushed. Ultimately, that's what the day of the Lord will be about, to smash evil. And as Peter says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth that holds a righteousness. The world that awaits us is a world that is new. It is breathing. It is purified. And every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Sin and death and pain will be no more. You, my brother and sister, will be part of that big picture. Please understand with everything that we've been saying here based on this passage that we cannot take the attitude when Jesus returns and he brings me into this new refined world, that is when I have the opportunity finally to live and to praise and to glorify God. That's your attitude. You're not going to see that. If you think that when Jesus Christ returns, that's when it all falls into place for you and finally you draw near to him and you live this new and glorious life, sorry. You've got to live it now. You don't know when Jesus is returning. What if he doesn't return tonight? What if he returns this week? Are you ready? You've only got one life to live. Try to win the youth or the doubt. Truly a remarkable truth, I think, because the right now has to be lived for the now. Peter has laid out the two epistles in a marvelous way, how that ought to be done. Peter is so much like the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Both those men, whether it was a Sermon on the Mount or Ephesians or Galatians, Peter, Jesus, Paul, they all come down to the same thing, that men living their lives to the praise and the glory of God must live in shallow superficial ways. Let's say you take the Ten Commandments and say, you know what, I, I, I never worshipped another God. I, I never shot anybody. I, I never took my neighbor's wife or her husband. Hallelujah for that. Look at that. Hallelujah. Well, what Peter and Paul and Jesus say, you gotta, you got to construe those commandments. you got to get them to work to the very deepest aspect of your life, how you live with God and love with your neighbor. Do you love the people around you? Are you kind? Are you tender? Are you forgiving? Are you selfless? That is living your life. That is how we ought to live when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. It shows in our deepest attitudes, our thoughts, and our feelings to the people around us. If God loves us, we also then what a blessing to actually return of our Lord Jesus Christ will be. When he returns, there will be a roar that reverberates the glory. The heavens themselves will be peeled back with a roar. Jesus will appear with his angels. And when he appears, the bodies will all rise out of the graves and be restored to full consciousness. Gone to hell. Believers perfectly transformed by the Holy Spirit in the image of God and this whole world will be purified with fire so all the dirt and the sin and the misery and the pollution will be gone. The dwelling of God in heaven 